it has been a season. I've hugged my son. I hugged my son, but I wanted to hug your son. Oh, goodness. I've cried about our future. I had complicated feelings and arguments about marching in a pandemic. And I literally tried to meditate away reality. I read some books. I got my senator on speed dial. But still, there is so much more work to do. That's why we're back. And this is Your Neighbor's Hood. The The Season season of of Solutions. Solutions. With Hannah and Jackie. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. (laughs) (laughs) That sums up how I feel about this, which is like, uh, uh, we sit up here trying to pull it together. Like, yeah, one one disaster at a time. We had high hopes, high (laughs) hopes for this. She's got high (laughs) hopes. I mean, I still have high hopes, but I'm just like. Some of this stuff that we're talking about is like dumpster fires. Yeah. <laughs> dumpster fires. Jeez Louise. I saw something recently that said you could be overwhelmed at the complexity of the problem or you could fall in love with the creativity of the possible solutions. So I think what we need to do is put ourselves into the mindset of falling in love with what we can do and what is under our control. Okay, love doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, this is just me rocking back and forth trying to tell myself we can, we can enact change. <laughs> and I'm like Caroline inside the TV, if you're old enough to get that uh, reference of the guys, the child in the TV oh. who's just, somebody's calling you out to the real, to, to the world. Mm. But there's too much going on on the inside, too many devils, too many demons to slay. But we did try to slay a demon. We set out on a mission this month. What's funny is, yeah, we both agreed initially. Like, you know what? If we're going to start this conversation about education, let's talk about people who, like, actually do this job. There are people who get paid good money to figure out what equity looks like in the school system. Yeah. And not even pay good money. Let me just not take the money. Let me take the money out of it. Who have the willing hearts and able minds to be able to sort of flush this out. And that's where we launched off. That's where we jumped off is trying to find an equity officer within our area. Actually, I think it it was even before we even tried to do an equity officer, you brought us to a website. So I came across this resource as I was doing the Southampton Roads YWCA Equity Challenge last year. It's a ProPublica website, which we will link. And I don't, I don't, want to throw the baby out with a bathwater on it because I think it is still really interesting, but it's called Miseducation. And you can type in your city and you can find out the racial breakdown of your district's composition. You can find out the opportunity, equity or inequity, discipline, equity or inequity, the segregation index, the achievement gap, the makeup of the AP courses, the makeup of the gifted and talented courses, etc. So there is a lot of detailed breakdown, which is very interesting when you're looking to figure out what it actually looks like from a bird's eye view. However, I naively skipped into this one section that says civil rights coordinators. It says districts are required to designate specific employees to ensure schools are in compliance with federal civil rights laws. Here are the designated civil rights coordinators for this district. 
So then we reached out. <laughs> we live in separate districts, so we reached out to a couple of different districts and yep. repeatedly were met with a dead end. Yep. And it was really disappointing because I uh, naively was like, here's the answer. <laughs> we'll talk to this person and they'll tell us what their job looks like. And we, mm-hmm. we got a little bit of emails back and forth, but we didn't quite get this beautiful bouquet of solutions yeah. that we could offer up to you guys. There was no Harry Potter potion, right? It wasn't like, oh, well, great. Now there's some clarity on what we can do. So it's like now, what do we do? We go to our own drawing boards. Yeah. Which was a fun journey, I'd say. And respectfully, I think we as individuals look at our school systems or we look at education, whether you're looking at it from a local, a state or a national level, like I'm not in a place to gobble down the national problem. No. That's a whole lot. Yeah. I I certainly have a healthy respect for those people who do and another an even healthier respect for those who try to do it on a state level. But what we are doing is trying to do on our own backyards. And I think it's safe to say that we both were kind of just like, huh, not impressed. Yeah. And actually, I think there is a point to me, my kind of expectations that this person would pick up the phone when we called repeatedly or that there would be, I guess I just find these little corners of my psyche where I still really trust in the system. And I understand Mm. that that is a real privileged, I'm like uncovering these little privileged (laughs) moments. Get uncomfortable. You know? Is that, yes, yes, yes. The, 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 I, I know this isn't the word because I knew we talked about getting uncomfortable. Like you are supposed to be providing a service. Like you are in service of our students and of our of the parents. Where are you? And you have the expectation that you should respond to your email and you should call us back because you are providing a service. Well, the thing is that it wasn't even the not call. Like, let's let's say that this job is it's a bit, it should be a busy job. But the thing is, and we're not investigative journalists. We dunked our toe in the water and we tried to reach out and call this number. I'm so investigative. Sorry, yes, you are. I'm so, you are. are. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, But we, but when we called time and time again, the people who picked up didn't know that this was a position. So what might be helpful is if more people were reaching out asking for this job. There should be somebody whose students and staff can turn to when they think that there are civil rights issues. And that should be a role that exists within our school systems. But to your point with anonymity, in a sense, right? Like there's oftentimes a fear that if I say something, then I'm going to be pegged as X, Y, and Z. Like, there should be a safe space to be able to say, this is going on in the school, this is going on in the school. And that's it's not even just we're talking specifically about race, but it's like things. Like, where is the IG, Inspector General hotline, where I can whistle blow? Mm -hmm. Because if that doesn't happen, you get things like a school that's had roaches for very many years and no one said anything until somebody starts asking questions of the kids and da-da-da-da-da. That happened in our neighborhood. Like, somebody could have been whistleblown. An employee could have been whistleblown on it, but there's no systematic approach for people to exercise their voices in a way where it feels like something's effective. And that is the problem. Mm -hmm. That is the problem that we saw on our journey. 
but we're about solutions. And it's not easy, I'll say. It was uncomfortable for me to pick up the phone and call. I was nervous, actually, to do it. But I think the more people do it and the more times we do it, the more comfortable it becomes. Yeah. Because we have every right to do that and we have every responsibility to do that. To your point, that being a solution, right? Like that being of picking up the phone, it does feel sometimes worse than calling a bill collector or having to ask somebody about. (laughs) It's going to cause some anxiety. But everybody, everyone dealing with the school system, meaning if you have little citizens in your neighborhood, whether you're the proud owner of one or not, (laughs) you have a right. If you pay taxes, Boom. You have a right to call into question what's happening. And I think that's I would say that's one of the first solutions to to what you're saying is, is that recognizing that the power, as you said, you just said, is like I had to pick up the phone. You don't have children in the school system right now in the public school system, but you picked up the phone. Granted, it's for this, for the podcast, but it's like, no, like I live here. I want to know what's going on with the schools. And there's a difference between making demands and being a Karen. Right. Right. Like <laughs> there's a difference between being a Karen or being a Quita. I love my sister's name, Quita. So just understand. OK, I, mean, I don't know they, this. They what is the context of being a Quita? Is that a thing? Uh, no, I just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how they say sometimes black parents come. Well, I don't know. Like, well, I've experienced it and I've seen administrators and educators experience the black parent that comes up there and just is going Sam the hell off, mm-hmm. just like cussing everybody out and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. But again, recognizing that that's fueled probably from a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The Karen and the Quita mentality are are fueled from a problem, but we absolutely have the power to ask and to demand. And a lot of times when we're talking about resources and we're talking about, uh, to your point, you were talking about gifted programs and all that good stuff, you deserve to know those numbers. Those numbers tell a story, which allow you to advocate, which in some places will directly impact your city's budget as well as your educational budget. So you can ask. Mm Mm-hmm. You can ask and then you can demand. Many hands may like work, but you can't do it by yourself. And that's the thing is that if we were doing this alone individually, I don't know that we'd be in the same place of continuing that search to try to figure out. I don't know what are your thoughts. That's true. And I think it would also make me feel less nervous when I am reaching out to schools for whatever reason to not feel like I'm the only one because part of my anxiety is like my voice will lose power with their ears, if I'm constantly being the whistleblower for this one thing, then they'll think, oh, she's just, she's just this one person. But if more people are writing over different things, then, then it reveals itself as a real problem, not just, oh, that one crazy lady. Mm-hmm. There's real strength in numbers. There is. I reached out, you know this, Jackie, but I found it helpful because I'm not a confrontational person, very uncomfortable with confrontation, but also very uncomfortable with inequity. So just uncomfortable in general. (laughs) (laughs) So I found it helpful and we'll put this resource up for people that there are some templates for specific things. I first started writing um, an email to my school system around Thanksgiving when I thought that there were some things that weren't handled maybe in the most equitable way. So there was a template that I could use 
I was given a skeleton that I could alter according to what my specific situation was. So we'll add that link. But there are definitely resources online for if you are first stepping into this and feel a lot of discomfort around that. I think what you're saying is right, Jackie. People should feel empowered to do it. But then here are also some ways to make it a little easier. Hannah, you have to talk about that, like why you decide that 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 part about how it was like you were with your school. This is a preschool, right? This is... Mm-hmm. Can do you mind? Because I think like mm-hmm. that's an important piece to the next thing is not just the demands, but the advocacy of your children and of your school. Like, what happened? Yeah. Why'd you even have to do that letter? So I, I'll say what I wrote. Does that help? Because did, I don't remember what the exact incident was. So let me see. Is but that, why I did said, you write it? Do you remember why you wrote a letter? I remember my kids just coming home with lots of information about the boats. You know, they were talking about Mayflower, <laughs> you know, et cetera. And I was, I, I don't, I just think it sounds like a one-sided story. And as a lover of storytelling, we ought to tell a more full story. I said that I've been just thinking about ways to approach Thanksgiving in a more respectful way, more in keeping with the actual history of what happened. And I came across some resources I wanted to share. I know it's too late for this year, but I've got another child coming through the school. And I hope that some of these suggestions can be folded into early learning. And then I ended with, please know, especially in this year, you know, with COVID, I was just so grateful that they were open in person. And I mean, that has allowed me to be able to do this. So I, I don't know, maybe for some, it would be too soft of a letter, but I shared some resources. And then I did it again around, um, there's, you know, the Dr. Seuss holiday. And it was right after um, Black History Month. I didn't really see anything on my end that was celebrating Black History Month. And I was doing things in my own home, but I didn't see it being reinforced from school. And I think that's really important. So I just wondered if the school was aware of some of the things that were in the news about Dr. Seuss. And that one felt that one felt weird to me, too, because, you know, Apparently, he grew and changed over time. But I mean, just to say, like, why are we still celebrating this one person? And then in the month of Black history, I didn't see much coming home or getting talked about by my kids celebrating Black figures, which there's so much to celebrate. It's such a rich educational offering. Yeah. So both times I was pleasantly surprised, actually, because I had not attacked. I just kind of like raised a flag. And both times they said that they were having meetings and having these discussions. And I found them to be really receptive. And one of the teachers actually said, thank you for these resources, because it's just so easy to criticize what's being done, but not offer a positive solution. So I was sharing things that they could do. Then then they're not having to reinvent the wheel when they're going off script. Right. And I know the fear of going into those sorts of things and feeling like I don't want to be gaslighted. I don't want to be like, because, and I'm just going to speak from my lens as a woman, right? First as a woman and understanding when I walk in to advocate for my child, I don't want to come off as a mama bear. I just want to come off as addressing an issue. And then as a black person, again, I don't want to come off as being aggressive. I just want to address the issue. So like trying to balance these things and walk in these educational settings where people are supposed to be smart. I'm just saying that like because that's the that's the thought that people are like these people in the schools are supposed to be smart because they're in the schools. 
they don't have all the answers, just like the elected don't have all the answers, just like the teacher mm-hmm. doesn't have all the answers, just like you don't have all the answers. But when we start understanding that our advocacy, to your point, comes from a place of sharing your knowledge, I am, I am saying this because I have found this. Mm-hmm. Or I am saying this because I heard my child say this or I've seen this in the classroom. So like oftentimes advocacy gets a little less scary when you arm yourself in- with information or with questions. Because I'll tell you, it's not mm-hmm. always that I'm advocating at a school that I have all the answers because I don't. Right. I don't know the right. answers. I just know this is a problem. And ultimately, it's ideal if we're in partnership. Mm-hmm. We're in partnership in the education of these young people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So advocate. Do you make demands? The most interesting side of this journey, I think, is taking the piece of advocacy, taking the piece of making demands and internalizing it for yourself with education. You brought me to some resources where there are people out in this world that Their advocacy is their action by putting their little citizens in specific learning environments or sharing Mm -hmm. their service. (laughs) So like when we say we are specifically about race, we're looking at education, one from the expansive amount of issues there are, but also between what it looks like for white and non-white people, right? What is that? And I say white and non-white because, again, we're coming from a place of everything that we do across the globe being influenced by white supremacy to include Mm -hmm. the institution of education. Right. And you really sort of invited me to understand how there are European-American people, white people that are doing work. (laughs) I don't know that how else to put that What doing work. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's not an easy path to walk. And as I think we'll hear in the bonus examples from white and non-white mamas who are grappling with how to do right by their children with recognition and respect for the impact that has on the larger community. Yeah. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work. Man, it feels like a master's in a way. There's so much education that needs to be done to do so much unlearning within ourselves. And one resource, and I I call it an action to to listen, the Integrated Schools podcast. So that is really interesting. If you don't understand the importance of it or want to just go deeper along the way in thinking about resources and in thinking about what different educations end up looking like and what your role is within that system, and the impact that your choices have. I think that's a really good resource. Integrated schools is all about white parents going into predominantly non-white schools, correct? Maybe it's accurate to say that it's a really beneficial thing for white parents to listen to, to understand a problem that is really glossed over, I think, in white parent culture. (laughs) Yes. Is that a right way to say yeah, it, I guess? It. A white parent culture, because we see what, to 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 what you're saying with white parent culture, I, um, I feel like we, growing up being in a, you know, predominantly black and Hispanic school, then going to a predominantly white school, then going to a school that was definitely a whole mix of people, um, 
there was some undertones of the power of the white parent within the education system across the board, right? Like mm. the power of the white parent. And I think um, Nice White Parent really articulated that. Nice White Parents was a, well, it's a podcast by New York Times that talks mm-hmm. about that sort of white parent culture in education as it pertains to resources and programming yeah. and was a and beautiful. the fine dance of being being pro integration except for for your, your own child <laughs> and the balance of the savior complex too yeah and which is something that i think we had a lot of discussions about like okay well i want to do x y and z but i'm not trying to come off as like white savior because that was some of the things that were said or will be talked about mm-hmm. in the bonus this keeps coming up for me and i think it applies here but i think it applies to the larger question of moving out of this and it's just about deep listening and it's about conflict resolution not escalation and i wish that was more integral in our education Mm. That skill set, it will be called soft, and yet it's not, it, it shouldn't be because it's so powerful. How to really listen to what needs are of a community, you know, not just your own and not putting your own needs first. Mm. In the midst of a country whose culture is that individualism and that, you know, I've got to look out for me. Yeah. My kid, my child, it's okay except for mine or it's not okay except for mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gosh. It's a lot, Hannah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I think it's important that, like you and I, sort of the conclusion we sort of came to was like, we have to find... I don't know any other way to put it as it, other than what my sixth grade English teacher used to tell us about life. You know, she used to say, you know, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative and don't mess with anything in between. And it's you come to a point where like, you know, you can feel even though you're trying to highlight the positives in this case in education you recognize that the negatives are are toxic to the positives. So then you have to find the affirmatives, right? How do we find the affirmatives? And I think that's where we find where we are going to choose to do the work, especially with something like the institution of education. Slittered, slabbed, and dabbed, dipped, sugar, candy-coated in white supremacy in and of itself as we continue to fight for textbooks and resources and, and like you just said, uh, history to be inclusive, not just to be inclusive, but to be holistic of all the people that have made this country. So my ask to you, so what matters most, right? What's your affirmative? What are you latching onto in education as you've got like little citizens? Cause I'm like, ugh, it turns my stomach because it's, it's the one thing that we know is so important for our little citizens and ourselves, right? 
We -hmm. must be lifelong learners. We must do X, Y, and Z. And as you're talking, it's like, you're absolutely right. Why isn't there a school for this? This very thing. If we know that this is a toxic problem, race and gender and all these things, why isn't there... Why have we not built something in our communities specifically for this teaching conflict resolution? Because all this stuff that happens in the community walks into the school. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think people, I, I think it, I don't know, maybe this is naive of me again, but I do, I think people are trying. I think people are working at it. I can say for myself, I'm really deeply committed to this personal education because I can control that. I can control my actions. And the the more I understand the context of history, which puts us into this certain set of problems and the context of the history and the impact that has on the community in which I live and the power, whether I want it or not, that I hold, I can choose how to spend it. So I feel great comfort in the solution of educating myself and then being able to make steps from that. And also in educating my kids. So so it's not that it's not out there. People are making steps toward it, I think. Like um, there's Embrace Race, which is a website that you can check out that's got a lot of resources. There's OutSchool. So I've got my kids signed up for a racial equity course through OutSchool. And then... <laughs> that's so cute. There's... Can I say that's the cutest? I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I just think it's it feels like a great relief to me to have that information come from another source. That's not the only other source, but it just feels like anytime I can have someone who's not me saying these things, then it's maybe settles in a little bit deeper or yeah. a little differently. And you're starting and he you are you both are both of your citizens signed up or just your oldest? My youngest is not old enough, but she'll be in the background. So what's the ages for the... Um, out school out takes school. kids starting at age three. Three. And I think it goes all the way up. And they have courses on lots of different things. But I'm I'm excited about the racial equity. And they keep the class size small. It's virtual. Nice. Nice. I love that as a solution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that, you know, a space and you're saying three and I know that's unfathomable for some people, but like, that's the reality. Like three, we could really do this at three. Yeah. It should be. Should be. Yeah. Well, I, I will say it's not all, uh, easy. Like having brought it up, it's not because the topic can't be, it can't be broken down into very, very simple parts it's it's super messy and so sometimes I've heard from other white parents like as they're on this path education like they've pointed it out and so then the kid has curiosity and you know says the wrong thing at the wrong time or Mm -hmm. asks a question that makes you feel like you haven't been listening to what we've been saying (laughs) you know but it's so it's not a it's a messy journey but it is well worth starting and going on together, I think. I'm I'm 100% with you. One of the things that has been sticking out to me as something that I'm 
an organization that I'm a part of is really looking for solutions and working towards in education is disciplinary actions and discipline within schools, because that's the whole thing. I remember one of the introductory things I had to do at my school when I was in kindergarten, or I think once you transition to first grade full time and stuff, um, you would go to the principal office. If there was a paddling, you would go to the principal office and you would watch somebody get paddled, right? Like, Yes, this was public school, I promise. I vaguely remember that too, actually. Yep, you would watch somebody get in a paddling and that would be a part of, of, you know, does a part of your process. And what we've seen and what there has been a an issue in schools and disciplinary actions, specifically with young males, but because I'm focusing on women um, issues right now with black girls and how our schools choose to or choose not to enforce standards and actions. So the United State of Women has a campaign called Principal Demands, and essentially it's demands that are being made to educational leaders on how we choose to discipline and support black girls. It's really based off of this movie that was made called Push Out and it really dug into that aspect of things and to stop criminalizing because I think we really do focus on the criminalizing of black men and don't see that this too happens to black girls Mm -hmm. kindergarten through 12th grade Mm -hmm. and that's been happening for a while so like law enforcement referrals to for black girls instead of sending them to social work or uh, policing their clothes and their hairstyles I've been, I can tell, I've been talked to about my hair before too at school. Like, it's just, how do we get to a place where we protect and support all of our students? Recognizing the way that we set this system up was almost uniquely designed to oppress certain students. Women. Not even almost. (laughs) Was, was uniquely designed to oppress. To oppress. And so the thing about that that I think you brought up, Hannah, is that when we walk to these issues, it can be very overwhelming and it's already nice to have resources that will allow you to sort of plug and play, but then have the accountability to follow up because somebody's done the messaging for you and it's what you believe. And at the UnitedStateOfWomen.org website, if you go to the principal man's, you go to take action, they even have a form that you can use to contact your school officials uh, just around saying, hey, you know, we want more psychologists. We want more uh, trauma-informed personnel. We want to get rid of zero tolerance policies. Because to your point, we had a conversation the other day. You were like, kids should not be getting called the police called on them or being kicked out short of doing certain things. Like that does not make sense. How do we work with students to review these codes of conducts that have been made? And then how do we develop alternatives with discipline and with consequences? Because that consequences need to happen. Uh, But we just we see them being abusive when we talk about certain. And and here's the deal, too, is that when we do this stuff, I'm talking specifically about black girls right now. But do you not think that a whole student body is not going to benefit from us taking a look at our practices on how we enforce school, looking at how we use zero tolerance as a punitive action. It helps everybody. You sending your son helps everybody. So like find your thing because I guarantee you it's not just going to help the people that you're talking about because 
it's going to help a whole lot of people. And we didn't even touch special education. And I know that that's a whole thing. That is a whole, like my heart, like to even, we would have to have spent this whole month on special education to address the inequities, the issue, all the things with special education. But we know that that is, that is a deep issue that many of our listeners were really hanging on to. Well, we don't plan on packing up our mics anytime soon. So hopefully for all these issues, and thank you to everyone who wrote in that they did care about special ed. We'll keep note of that and we'll try and work it in again when we get the next opportunity and when we have something really valuable and meaningful to share about it. Yeah. So we'll link these resources on our website and in the show notes so you can check them out and so you can take action. And we want to know. What did you do? What worked for you? What did we miss that you'd like to recommend to our community? Please let us know. Drop it on our social comments or send it to us, yourneighborshood at gmail.com or communicate to us through our website. Yeah. So glad that you guys were able to join us. And as we transition ourselves to the next umbrella, what's next month? What are we doing next month? Next month, we're going to take a look at the environment. Barracuda. All right, you've been listening to Your Neighbor's Hood, and as always, give us a like, a rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends, and join us on social. Stay open, stay curious, and make it a great day. Closer to history. History.